Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Happy New Year, bud. New Year, new Suns. Like five of them. We're at five, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Uh, from a week-to-week basis of the podcast, Kevin, uh, our, our takes are hit and miss in terms of how they hold up. But I think my take in terms of it's going to be some tough basketball for the next four to six weeks uh, that certainly held up. Uh, I, I really don't want to talk about uh, these three games that much, to be honest. We're going to get into mostly Jalen Smith and Bismarck Biombo and just how the future of the roster looks going forward. We'll kind of refresh here at the top with the games and then, and then the news in terms of who's back, who's not. But these were uh, three tough games since we last podcasted. So OKC, they play at home. OKC doesn't have Shea Gilgis-Alexander and also a handful of players. I believe it was a total of six of the 10 players who played against the Suns the week before when OKC was there did not play, including Shea. Uh, with this in mind, OKC being led by Ty Jero, Mike Muscala, and Aaron Wiggins, OKC hung around and even led in this game for portions of it. Uh, even though the Suns had Chris Paul and Devin Booker and several of their key players still. Uh, Devin Booker pretty much carried the offense, and and then they figured it out in the last couple of minutes and won by 15. Uh, OKC was on the second night of a back-to-back on the road again, so uh, that was kind of due coming for them, but it took the Suns a while. They fly that night, or sorry, they, they stay in Phoenix, and then the next day on Thursday, they travel to Boston across the country and then play a game at 11 a.m. local time here, uh, Arizona local time. And they are down by as many as 30 in the second quarter. They kind of put up a fight on two to three separate occasions in the second half, but never could really cut it down to like 10 or eight, just a couple of possessions, nothing really going there. And then on Sunday, they smashed the Hornets, who if you're a Suns fan and you don't like pay attention to the league at all, you must think the Hornets are the worst team in the league because they play like the worst team in the league whenever they play the Suns. I believe the Suns were up by 40 at some points here in, in this game, they nearly won by 40. They won by 34. Uh, and, and that game was over at halftime, just like the Boston game essentially. And really, really over in the third quarter. Uh, did you have any takeaways from these three games, Kevin, besides uh, the thing that I talked about with Jalen and Bismarck that we'll get into because uh, I didn't really have any takeaways, but if you did, uh, I would like for you to share them. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the value of centers and the whole DeAndre JaVale combo is a big deal. Like JaVale, even when he's filling in for DeAndre, that not having that second big, no matter what order it is, is like a big deal for this team. And like, you still have book and Devin Booker and you think you should, you know, compete with the Celtics and maybe that's a midday or early day thing for them where it's just a weird turnaround time. I don't know. Um, but, but I think the consistent thing that I did see was um, just how big of a difference it is when you play tough individual defense and everyone gets cooked in this league. Um, Mikel gets cooked a lot, but having DeAndre or JaVale back there is a big deal. And I think you just saw a lot more 
like plays where someone would blow by and you're like, Oh, they'll be in position. And it wasn't just being in position. It was like, no one was there at all. And part of that was rotations being slow. Cause you know, whether it's Jalen Smith or a random dude off the street, it's not going to be as fast, but also just how good and consistent I think DeAndre and JaVale are. So that, that'd be my one big takeaway. Yeah. I, I think to extend off of that, I think what we talked about with Mikel when he hurt his pinky is the same kind of point we can make on DeAndre, right? Where I don't think there are a lot of teams that you can look at structurally and say from the same point the Suns have, right, Kevin, which is they have two all-stars, they have two all-star guards, two of the best 15 players in the league, 20 players, however you want to rank them. They have two incredibly important players beyond that, but they are still not like those guys aren't like top 30, top 40 players in the league. Like you might see some teams saying like their third or fourth best guy goes out and then they're screwed. Like this isn't necessarily how the Suns would like, you would rank those guys on an individual basis. And yet like if they lose Mikel, they're screwed. If they lose Deandre, I don't think they're, I don't know if they're screwed quote unquote, Kevin, but it, it lowers their ceiling significantly. Like they would need to have some other developments really come. I've seen a lot of people kind of, Use this time to say, this is why you pay DeAndre Aiden. This is why you can't have an average center come in and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's the wrong way to approach the conversation because I think all of that is true. But I think that the different way to state it is this is why the Suns made the finals last year is because they have DeAndre and they have his versatility on defense at the center position. And he deserves just as much credit for as much as any other individual could get credit for Mikel Bridges' defense besides Mikel, I think that DeAndre is the other guy because we saw, I mean, like you said, Kevin, Mikel gets cooked. Everyone gets cooked. Like John Morant was having a field day in that Memphis game. And without DeAndre behind there, it, it just caused a lot of problems. And he is so vital to this team. And Mikel is so vital to this team that there is just a dramatic difference in this team when either of those guys goes missing. And I, I would lump Jay Crowder in there, not on that importance level as well, but with what I talked about last time in terms of talking on defense and all that stuff, they, they really miss those guys when they're out and it just shapes reshapes. I don't want to say reshapes. It forces them to play without part of their identity. Cause you can't reshape your identity like this. It's just, only a couple of weeks, only a couple of days, however long the protocols take, that's that's where they're at. So I, I completely agree with you, and I think that the funk that they're in right now just has a bit to do uh, with that. But it was, it was good to at least see them snap out of it in the Charlotte game. But I don't know. I, I wasn't surprised either, Kevin. Like, I, I guess it, it would be surprising to hear us say we're not surprised that they were down 30 in Boston, but I wasn't surprised. Were you? No, I mean, just the type of – players they have and how the Celtics are playing. I think the Hornets are just like a bad matchup for whatever reason. Just yeah, um, they don't have those guys who can really go off that just create a mismatch with what the Suns have. Um, but also the Celtics, like, I think it matters that the Suns embarrassed them the last time they played. So there's just a lot to go into it. I'm not sure how much was like serious. We need to worry about this basketball team stuff. Indeed. Okay. So let's talk about Jalen Smith. Um, We're going to zoom out and have the conversation a different way than we did last week to not kind of repeat ourselves because Jalen has played extremely well. And 
I'm going to be 100% transparent and honest here. I know that I've been lower on Jalen Smith than others ever since he's become a Phoenix Sun. I don't think that has changed in the last couple of games per se. I think that what's happening, Kevin, is he's getting better each game, not dramatically necessarily, but in the Charlotte game, it was like, oh, he's in the right spot four straight times on that defensive sequence or that defensive possession. You know what I mean? And that's the type of stuff that I'm noticing and paying attention to far more um, honestly than the double doubles and the production and, and all that kind of stuff, just because I think that's going to come for him. I, I really don't think it's a problem for him to put up numbers I, and be uh, a positive contribution in that way. I just think that it comes down to the rhythm of the team kind of being as intact as it can be without DeAndre and Javel when he's in there and being in the right spots and being a guy who's been in the system for a second year. And I was very encouraged by the Charlotte game specifically, but with him, Kevin, it's just really obvious that this guy's a center, right? It's, it's very obvious that maybe he's not even like a four or five combo. Like he's just a five, I think. And this harkens back all the way to our discussions on draft day in terms of talking about what position he was going to play and just the value of taking him there. And there are several different directions we can take it, but I think the first place to start is just where the Suns envisioned him, which was more of a four or five combo. I think the way that Monty described it at one point was a more athletic Dario. And and those were, I don't want to say great aspirations, Kevin, because they drafted Cam Johnson the year prior. And I sat here on a podcast with Cole Zwicker for 25 minutes being like, where is he going to play? I don't understand what position he is. And it turns out he can play three now. And they just had him really develop physically and Cam put in a ton of work and they put in a ton of work and figuring out where he fits it best, which was a couple of different spots. That kind of versatility hasn't come around to Jalen Smith. I think the thing that we've learned from this sample size more than anything, Kevin, was that he, he was always going to be a center in, in the league, I think. Yeah. And, and to your point on draft day, it was, why would you waste a ten, top 10 pick on a guy who's redundant to DeAndre and, and a what backup, I said, yeah, a backup, yeah, a backup. Yeah. Not really redundant. I guess it's the wrong word, but I, I guess my issue again is not really with Jalen Smith. It's how they've handled it. Um, and again, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. If you want to save money, save money. Like that is an amount of money you can pay a veteran. But if you looked at, him as a prospect and didn't think he would need three years, then what are we doing? You know? Um, And I still think he could be a good player. So maybe I'm higher on him than you, but it just doesn't make sense why you decline his contracts. Don't even get a good look at him because as you said, you watch him in consecutive games, he starts to do string together more plays without messing up, without doing any damage. Um, obviously as an athlete, he's there. He ended Mason Plumlee. Um, he seems like a good athlete. He's blocking shots. The energy is great. We were, we were concerned on draft night, Kevin, especially with what, like what Sam Bassini said about his lateral movement. And it looks, it looks fine to me. Yeah. And, And that's where it's even like, he could hang at the four on defense, I think. Um, more so than I thought, but just asking that prototype of a player to do Dario stuff was weird and changing like the expectations with him and not playing him until you finally just have to put him at center is weird. So I, I think, I mean, from a, my perspective, it's 
Monty wanted to use him one way and James Jones in the front office misevaluated him another way. I don't, I don't really know, but um, I mean, that, that goes back to stuff that's not under his control. So I, oh, yeah. it's more criticisms about the Suns, And again, like they're doing a great job in a lot of other things, but that's just a lot of questions there about why you would do these things and jerk them around and stuff like that. And we shouldn't go any further in the conversation without giving him props. I, I, I did yeah. in, in the recap that I wrote, like I asked him a question just related to what we talked about, which is like, okay, you have consistent playing time. You're playing the five now only basically has that, has that helped you get more confident? And then he said like, no, I've always been confident. So for him to maintain his level of confidence through this entire um, journey and having his third year option declined, is just again props to him and he's been playing extremely well and he could not be taking advantage of the opportunity more to kind of go back to what you were saying and kind of just draw a line in the sand and say like how I feel about him right now I definitely think he can be an NBA player still and I think that he can be a rotation player and an important rotation player in the league at this point do I think he can be a starting center I mean that's really going to come down to how consistent his three-point shot is and then how much he can put on like strength and how much he can hang because we saw the Steven Adams matchup, just give him a nightmare. And I think that is something that would continue and he would get hunted in that kind of regard in terms of just teams really attacking the glass with him as like a starting center to start that high and kind of work our way down. But if he's as good of a shooter, I think that's the thing we haven't seen Kevin because rightfully so it's just been more of like focus on the energy stuff instead of shooting the threes but this is like not a case of like the DeAndre argument because he was legitimately a good shooter at Maryland was like moving around screens and stuff and, and he can shoot. Um, it just seems like with everything that's been going on for him the last year, plus it, it's been like 15 months. Exactly. I think it just seems like it's, it's hurt his jumper in a way we've seen for countless guys. Like Mikel went through the hitch problem and it took him a year and a half to get his jumper back. We see young guys struggle with that all the time. And I think he's just going through that right now with his jumper. But if he, is like a 38, 39% three-point shooter, which I really think he can be based on what we've seen. That's a guy that, that could, I think, start for some teams for sure. So I'm not willing to go that far yet, especially with the way that he's moving defensively and showing progress in these couple of games. But what I will say, Kevin, is he, he clearly, clearly, Kevin, he needs this playing time in order to develop. And I just wonder what team is going to give him this playing time to develop over an entire season, two seasons, whatever, to develop him potentially into, I think at the very least, Kevin, like he can be a third center on a team, kind of like what we see with Frank, where if you have a certain dynamic on your team and you just want an energy, rebounding, athletic, shot-blocking guy as a change of pace in the way that Frank is a change, change of pace stretch playmaker – that's what Jalen Smith could provide to another team. I just think he needs the playing time in order to develop right now because we've just clearly seen that's the case because of how much he's improved over the, these last four or five games, how much comfortable, more comfortable he's getting compared to a year of being in these practices and getting summer league time. It just seems like he needs the time, and that's where I'm low because I just don't know if he's going to – I don't think he's going to get it with this team, and I don't know what team is going to give him sort of that role essentially. Yeah, and going back to the contract situation, to me, it's like, okay, maybe you say, what is the monetary value of the third big? And he's getting paid on that rookie deal. Um, So you could re-sign him if he doesn't find any other offers at the end of this year. 
because right now, like you could say, well, now they made his contract more attractive um, just because it's expiring and you can offload it. It's around 5 million. No, maybe more than that. Um, you can look it up, but it, I'll, look it's, for you. I'll look for you. It's a significant amount where you can trade for a, a good player. Um, so now he is building up that trade value, but like, Four and and a half. yeah. Okay. So did the Suns think he was going to get this playing time to showcase that he's worth trading another expiring deal? I don't think so. Um, so just that doesn't make sense to me, but I, I think I agree with you definitely is taking the steps to show that he is a rotation player. He just needs more time, needs more playing time. You know how it's weird that they're in the same class, but he kind of reminds me of John, of Isaiah Stewart in Detroit right now, where if Isaiah Stewart were to got drafted to a really good team, Kevin, I don't know if he would have gotten playing time right away to showcase that he's good. Like yeah. he's, he's a starting NBA center right now, Isaiah Stewart is. And that's just because he's been in Detroit where he's been able to play a lot. And I just wonder if Jalen, from his perspective or from his um, point of view, whatever you want to call it, if he's going to get that time. And I, I don't know. And it's a bummer for him specifically because there we talk about how much fit matters and all that kind of stuff. It's like he's never going to find a better situation than the one that he's in right now in terms of the people he's surrounded by, the people trying to help him develop, the team atmosphere, the culture, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of what he actually needs, Kevin, which is a clearly playing time, because I cannot emphasize this enough, how much he is showing more over the last like two, three games. than he has in these little pop-up spots here and there, like he just clearly needs playing time. Um, I, I don't know if it's actually that good of a fit for him after looking at it from this perspective, because he, he just, for what he needs more than anything else, I, it looks like he just needs time on the court. So I, I do I do wonder what team is going to give him that. And of course, fast forward three years, Kevin, where he's a starting NBA center. And people are talking about how the Suns botched this. And it's like, well, I, were they supposed to play him over JaVale McGee or DeAndre during a title chase? No. So that'll be fun. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit once we get there. But I don't know. Do you have any more thoughts on him? I, I just think that to extend that further, the Charlotte game was by far the most encouraging for me because like the same similar numbers were there with the last two, three games that he played but there were a handful of defensive possessions where he was moving without getting not, not lost necessarily, but he was where he was supposed to be the entire time. And we can talk about Biombo next, Kevin, because when you watch a guy like Biombo, it's like, yes, that's what it looks like. He knows exactly how to Kevin, when he shows on a ball screen, it's going to take him a while to get back, but he knows that he has to show and he knows that he has to get back. And it's like, there's those little steps going forward where I think Suns fans better than anyone else over the last, like from 2016 to 20 should see when a young player is starting to figure out more where they need to be because of all the instances we've seen of players not knowing where they need to be. And when someone like Biombo comes in, it's like, yeah, that's what it looks like when you have 700 games of NBA experience. That's a guy who uh, was also a high draft pick. Didn't really pan out, but yeah, it's kind of a good, not that they're exactly the same, but a mirror image of like the, experience even if you don't reach your potential like shows when you go and just the knowledge even if you don't develop the skill set and that kind of thing i guess is what i'm trying to say but yeah okay so biombo uh to reset on where the roster is right now (laughs) today landry shamit was placed under health and safety protocols that was a 
I will say discouraging development, Kevin, because every 24 hours we go without someone being added, I'm like, okay, they're closer and closer to like nipping this in the butt, basically not having it like spreading through the roster entirely. Um, like it has across so many teams right now. Uh, and then unfortunately that news drops, but the good news that came back today, we're, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon before the Pelicans game. Uh, Bonnie Williams is back. He's with the team uh, out of health and safety protocols. DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder are still in there. And then I believe who is the other name I'm forgetting. Um, Abdul Nader is still in there. And then JaVale McGee is still in there. Um, and JaVale was a couple of days after DeAndre and Jay. So we'll see in terms of a timeline, a lot of people are tweeting me and asking me like, why are these protocols seeming to take longer for them than other teams fluid situation, Kev, this, this virus, I tell you, you never know. Could be five days, could be 20. I, I would hope that people have an understanding right now of the pandemic that they're in right now and how much the cases can vary by person to person. And I, I guess that's what we're seeing right now. Again, we don't know who's asymptomatic, who's not, and all that kind of stuff. But that's where they're at right now. That's where the Suns are at. In terms of 10-day contracts, 10-day uh, hardship exemption went to Emmanuel Terry. He was waived today to, for them to give a 10-day to Justin Jackson, a former first-round pick. Uh, and then they also have 10-day contracts on the exemption going to MJ Walker, a four-year player out of Florida State. Uh, Paris Bass was a really cool story that I hope we can talk to him about at some point before he's not on the team anymore because I don't know if he's going to stick around much longer. But from what I looked up on stats and, and information I could find on him, he came out of school after two years at Detroit Mercy in, I believe, 2016, 2017, spent a year in the G League and then just like didn't pop up on any stat sheets for two years, plays in Puerto Rico for two years, then goes to an open, I'm assuming an open tryout for the G League um, affiliate for the Lakers, if not an open tryout, an invite tryout, whatever. He makes that team based on tryout, and now he's in the NBA, which is super cool. Uh, and then Bismarck Biombo who it seems like Kevin from what Dwayne Rankin was able to talk to him about in Charlotte. It sounds like he has been, he was not someone who went through the off season looking to sign with the team. Uh, he was going through the death of his father and said that he spent quite a bit of time away from basketball. We don't know really what the timeline was, what he like looked at in the off season, didn't look like, but, but he said he wanted to find the right team and wanted to win a championship. And so here he lands with the Suns, and here he is on this team um, I guess I'll just kind of go through his career a bit because you kind of mentioned him. So seventh overall pick in 2011, he actually spends his first three, four seasons in Charlotte, kind of goes around a couple of places. Remember that really weird Toronto year, Kevin, where he was like impacting playoff games. And it was yeah. like, look at Bismack Biombo. And, and, <laughs> and then somewhere in there, I believe after the Toronto series is when he got paid a whole lot of money by Orlando, still at the age of only 24 in that Orlando year, by the way. Uh, but then it never really works out in terms of him being like a long-term starting center. Orlando didn't even stick with him in the starting lineup the rest of the year. Uh, and then he goes back to Charlotte for the last three seasons. And now here he is in Phoenix, um, undersized center at 6'8", Kevin. But I think this is the most oversized 6'8 center you'll ever see because he is a, a big, beefy <laughs> dude who bumps people around and has like, I think, a 7'6 wingspan, if I remember correctly. Like, it's it's insane. Um, and... I mean, he, I, I, don't, I don't know. How, how do you feel about his game, first of all, and how he looked in Charlotte before we talk about, like, his potential fit long-term? Yeah, you just see the difference between, like, they obviously wanted bigs, and then you go get Emmanuel Terry, who's a great energy dude. Um, I don't really know that much about Paris Bass, but another lanky guy, and then you can just see 
the physical difference, I guess. That's NBA physicality from Biombo. Um, he he really looked like like screen setting, rim rolling. Um, like you can get the ball out of Terry's hands if he rim rolls, but Biombo's different. So I, I obviously the skill set's super limited. And like I said earlier, he didn't exactly develop as people thought he would as a draft pick, but um, what they have a roster spot open. And if you go in and you say, I don't want to deal with not having two centers, if this COVID thing or injuries or whatever happens in the playoff run, um, that might be the guy. Um, I don't know who else will be there in the bio market and all that stuff, but it's, I think that's the one signing where it's like, this is somewhat intriguing. The rest of the guys, um, it, those guys just kind of seem like they're, they're just trying to survive right now. Yeah. I think that it's, it's an important sort of um, anecdote to provide that James Borrego talked before the game. Cause they played in Charlotte, which of course is where Bianca started his career and then spent the last three seasons. All three of those seasons were under Borrego playing for Borrego. And Borrego talked about him like the way that Monty talks about Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre and all those guys in terms of just like he he showed these young kids like what a professional is in terms of just how hard he worked, how he just approached everything. And he was just a big time part of us like molding our program, basically. So that that type of guy, again, to go back to like how we talked about Langston Galloway and others at the end of the bench, like Etuan Moore last year, Kevin, it sounds like Biombo would be perfect for that. And he would also fit into a role they need right now. Um, I, again, in the Charlotte game, like you said, I, it could not have been more clear the night and day difference between Jalen, a young player, still figuring out NBA basketball and, and Bismack Biombo has been playing NBA basketball for a decade now. Um, they are very two very different players, despite the fact that they kind of do the same stuff on the court besides shoot threes. Um, but but man, I, I thought the difference was really clear and just Biombo immediately kind of came in there. Kevin Young said after the game, Kevin, he was like, yeah, I didn't expect him. I, I thought he was going to like play well and be exactly what we needed, but he even impressed me in terms of the amount of talking that he was doing defensively and just all of the kind of stuff that they wanted out of him in terms of where to be on the floor. He was exactly where he was supposed to be all game. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's gotta, he's gotta stay on that, on that other roster spot just based on what they need right now. I don't know the only tidbit here, Kevin, how long does it take for Frank and Dario to come back? I guess yeah. is like the information we don't know about. If those two guys are back in March or whatever, I don't know that. And the Suns are going to have a better tidbit on that than just about anyone. But it was, there was no, there was a clear reason why in Adrian Wojnarowski's report from ESPN that he said like, this could be something that turns into a long-term stay for Biombo the rest of the season. He, he worded that in his uh, tweet for Biombo signing. And it just makes a ton of sense based on what they need. Yeah. I mean, he's, He's just that veteran guy. Um, if you integrate him in the system that quickly and he's only asked to hit dudes on screens and roll to the basket and dunk and rebound, um, I think that's good insurance. But again, it's come the buyout market, which isn't for a while still. Um, well, I guess it's a month or so out, but it just, you don't know what that open roster spot can provide whether there's trades or whatever. So I, I think, you know, it's good to get a guy in the building. I don't even know if they could string together these hardships because I can't keep track on how many times you can sign them and all that, but we'll see, I guess. 
I think the person who like is writing these rules is the only person that knows that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sure all the front offices know, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot to handle in terms of what's allowed and what's not. And uh, they are literally, these are literally rules that were implemented like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So it's, it's been, pandemic. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Fluid situation. Just so fluid, Kev. Just yes. the fluidity of it is just knows no bounds of the fluid nature of the fluid situation. Uh, yeah, I, so I think where, when I zoom out, Kevin, I'm like, should you have six centers on a roster? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably but, not. In ter- but in terms, they probably shouldn't, but in terms of what they need, I, I think that he's, he fits in there. And I think people read that tweet and were like, oh my God, they're trading Jalen Smith for sure before the deadline. And it's like, ah, I don't think it means that necessarily. Now it could, but I don't think that it means that ne- at all. I, I just think that it means He's an obvious fit for what they for what they need. And even if, Kevin, even if Frank and Dario are back, that Buck series is the exact series where you would have played Biombo, right? You would have just put him in there. You would have had Frank or Dario sit and you would have had him in there. Now, of course, JaVale is here now and he exists as well, which is another thing I think you kind of forget about the situation when you're on the fifth and sixth centers on the team, Uh, whatever it is. Yeah. The fifth and sixth centers on the team right now in the rotation, you kind of forget about the first four existing. So we'll, we'll see where it goes, but I, I, either way, I think that he would be a great addition. And I agree with you entirely that you never know what you're going to get from that spot, both in a good and a bad way. So if they feel really optimistic about it, a two for one trade, whatever, Whatever it is, the buyout market, if they have a certain name in mind that they're looking at already that they prefer to be on, but I think that he makes like a lot of sense in terms of sticking around and can provide a lot to this team in, in a way that you didn't necessarily, I wouldn't have necessarily sat here and talked about when they had that open roster spot for sure. Oh, hey, the trade deadline's February 10th. That's barely over a month. Wow. Barely over a month. Uh, it, it is. Yeah, we, we're going to have to start looking. We're going to have to start perusing. Is there another Tory Craig out there? I think that's kind of the most obvious thing that they need right now in terms of like absences. I think we just haven't hit on enough how much they've missed Abdul Nader, just in terms of having the minutes for a guy who knows what he's doing in their system at all times, like at, at the wing spot specifically. And without Shamit now, that means Cam is going to slide up and play some two, or Mikel's going to slide up and play some two. They just can't figure out a way to not play Alfred Payton, Kevin. This is crazy. <laughs> like, it's just he just he's just. I don't think he's ever going to leave the rotation for the rest of the year, Kevin. It just seems like we're <laughs> we're stuck here. The the poor guy. Like he's played one position for a decade in the league, and then they ask him to do something else. It's just he's trying the best he can, you know. All right. Uh, any other closing thoughts? Anything else? I mean, Chris Paul was kind of he was meh for three games, but he deserved all those guys at that level can be met for three games and, and be fine. He had 16 assists against Charlotte. So I think he's, he's back and doing just fine. Book's been pretty good since coming back. 28 points per game over the last four for book carrying how stuff. How about that? Both of them are all-stars, right? We'll talk about that in like a week or two, but they both have to be all-stars, right? The two guard men. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. The, the dribble men, the, the two main dribble men. Oh, you, you can't, you can never have too many dribble men, Kevin. Let us never go back to a day when we're covering basketball for a team that doesn't have enough dribble men. Those were dark times. Oh, they forgot. The darkest of times. Remember when they didn't have a point guard for an entire season? I just had to bring that up like every three months on this podcast because I truly cannot believe it that we, that we endured. We endured. Uh, all right, Kev. Uh, we'll be back next week, folks, uh, to talk about again 
to bring it up like we did last week. This is just a weird stretch in the season. They take that trip to Boston. They finish up that East Coast trip in New Orleans. Then I assume they'll fly back tonight to Phoenix. Then they play at home against L.A. on Thursday, Miami on Saturday. Then they get two days off in between games finally, but they're going all the way to Toronto, which I believe has got to be one of the longest trips for them in terms of like the five, looking at like all 30 teams across the league or 29. I assume that's like top three or four in terms of how far they have to travel for that. And then Indiana, Detroit, then they go south to Texas for San Antonio, Dallas, and then they're back at home for a good bit. But just a weird closing month for them that we'll be talking through more and more. And and for now, Kevin, all I really see for them is like a two in one record in their last three games. That's really all they have to do. Just kind of stay afloat, manage what they can here before they get everyone back, which should be uh, pretty soon. I believe what Gambo has been reporting is that that Clippers game on the six is when guys could start to potentially uh, be back for the Suns, and we'll be back next week. See ya.